0: InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Research into consumer behavior reveals why we choose to eat what we do and how that behavior affects our weight. Here with the story, InfoTrack's Roy Mackey. Roy? Thanks, Chris. Brian Wansick is the John Dyson Professor of Consumer Behavior at Cornell University, where he directs the Cornell Food and Brand Lab, and he's the author of a book called Slim by Design, Mindless Eating Solutions for Everyday Life. Dr. Wansick, welcome to InfoTrack.
1: It's great to be with you again.
0: What role does mindless eating play in the obesity problem in America?
1: Well, It plays a major problem, unsurprisingly, because what happens is that individually, regardless of how in control we believe we are of our eating, we make over 200 decisions about food every day. and The problem is that most of us don't think we make more than 25 or 30, because it's not just whether we're going to have cereal A or cereal B for breakfast, but it's how much we're going to pour, how much milk we're going to put in, do we have seconds, do we finish it, do we leave it? So we make 30 decisions by the time we finish breakfast. Wow. But the powerful thing is, because we're unaware of most of our decisions, the things around us, whether it be the person next to us or the lighting or the size of a bowl or the distance of the cereal box... It's a huge impact on how much we eat. But the good news is that we can turn that around. The same cereal box that makes us eat too much because it's right next to us can make us eat less if we put it on the counter.
0: Yeah, the kitchen counter seems to be a really common thread through a lot of your research. Can you just tell us some things that people don't know about how that affects their weight?
1: Well, one of the studies shows that what you have in your counter, not even food-related, just in terms of your mail or your newspapers, or whether you have dirty dishes or clean dishes in the dish rack influences how much you eat, and that. We did this study where we invited people into a kitchen, and we had three snacks sitting out. And the kitchen was either perfectly clean except for the three snacks, or it was fairly cluttered. It had you know mail on the table and an open newspaper and dishes in the dish rack. And if people came into a cluttered kitchen and were there for half an hour, on average they ate
0: about forty-four percent more calories. That's amazing.
1: Within two days of doing the research, about everybody in my lab changed the way we organize our kitchen. No more cluttered counters for uh, our house.
0: Can you talk for a moment about some specifics on that? I mean, what should you not have on your counter? For example, one of the yeah. stats was breakfast cereal.
1: We did a study, and we called it the Syracuse Study, because we did it in Syracuse. We went up and we took photos of everybody's home, of what was on the counter and the cupboard and the plates everything. To see if we could predict somebody's weight without even seeing them, if we simply could look at their kitchen. And one of the things we found is that if you have chips or cookies sitting anywhere that's visible in your kitchen, whether it be on a counter or on top of a cupboard or over the side, on average, you're going to weigh 10 pounds more than your neighbor who doesn't. But the real surprise to us was if a home has breakfast cereal, that's visible anywhere. And if it's hidden in a cupboard, that doesn't count. But if it's sitting on the counter, if it's in an open area, on average they weigh about 21 pounds more than their neighbor. And we think what goes on here is that you, know, you see cookies and chips, and you kind of go, okay, ooh, gotta beware, bad stuff, bad stuff. And we don't say that with breakfast cereal because it tastes great, it looks good, it's got fortified with vitamins and minerals. And we eat snack on it, not knowing that actually a handful of 100 calories is 100 calories regardless of whether it's a cookie or whether it's a special K.
0: One of the things you write about is how supermarkets and restaurants market their food and how that can make healthy food more appealing, but oftentimes they don't do that. Can you just talk about that for a moment, maybe why restaurants and supermarkets fail to make those healthy choices appealing?
1: It's not because they don't want to, because both restaurants and grocery stores make a whole lot more money when they sell us fruits and vegetables than when they sell fruity pebbles, because they make a whole lot more margin on fruit, because it spoils if it goes bad. And the same way with the restaurants, they make a whole lot more if they sell us shrimp salad than if they sell us onion rings. But they kind of go, you know, selling you a shrimp salad could be kind of tough, and I don't really know how to do it that smart, but I do know how to sell you onion rings. So, you know, whatever, I'll just take the lower margin path and do that. We show that simply by the way that they set up a menu, by the way they suggest things, there's really, really easy win-win things that restaurants can do to make a whole lot more money, getting us to eat healthier.
0: Somewhat related to all that is school cafeterias and how they can make healthy choices more appealing to kids.
1: Yeah, well, we've been uh, for about the last six years, we've started something called the Smarter Lunchroom Movement, SmarterLunchrooms.org, if you're interested. We're in over 20,000 schools, and what we've done is we said, hey, you know, it's one thing to legislate vegetables and fruits being on a person's plate, but look, the kid's not going to eat it if they don't want it. You can't legislate that somebody eat it, but you can make it a lot more attractive. One of the things we found is you can plop fruit, unwanted fruit, in somebody's tray, a child's tray, and they're not going to eat it. They're just going to throw it away. But if you lead them to take it by, let's say, putting it... In an attractive fruit bowl, putting it in a couple different places in the line, having one of those places be near the cash register, we find that when kids take it in their own volition, they're a whole lot more likely to eat it. And we find fruit consumption goes up by over 100% and stays there simply by putting it in a nice bowl and moving it to a well-lit part of the line. Hmm. And there's a hundred other things school lunchrooms can do to help kids eat healthier that don't cost a penny. There's things they can do over break that some of them they can do over the weekends. You know, what's interesting is that we did a neat study where if you give kids carrots, about only 40% of the kids will eat carrots. But if you say, hey, what do you want? Do you want a bag of carrots? Do you want a bag of celery? Well, first of all, no kid in their right mind will take the celery. But what we find is that they all still take carrots. But because they made the choice now, instead of only 40% of the kids eating it, it's more like about 65% eat it because they said, well, I took it. You know, I guess I took it because I like it. The next generation of the cool stuff that the U.S. Department of Agriculture is doing and they are doing some brilliant things in supporting and moving schools in the right direction. But this next generation is setting things up so not only do kids take it on their own volition, but because they take it, they eat it. This program right now, the Smarter Lunchroom Approach, is in over 20,000 U.S. schools.
0: Our guest on InfoTrack is Dr. Brian Wansick from Cornell University. He's the director of the Cornell Food and Brand Lab and the author of Slim by Design, Mindless Eating Solutions for Everyday Life. Dr. Wansick, one of the most common things is how families share their meals in front of the TV. Can you just give us some suggestions about just families in general and how they can improve eating habits?
1: We did a study where we looked at what are the characteristics of families that have overweight parents and overweight kids? And the biggest two predictors of that is if you eat dinner in front of the television set with the television set on, or if you don't eat at a table, or you don't all stay seated till everybody's done, those are the three biggest predictors. But those also end up being the biggest things related to whether both parents and kids are healthy weights. If they eat at a table with the TV off and they stay seated till everyone's done. But what you can also do, if you have kids who don't think they like vegetables, one of the easy things you can do is when you start serving dinner, before you bring anything else out, bring out the, whatever the salad is or the vegetables, if you're serving those, bring them out first, dish them out, and start eating them before you bring out your starch and your main entree. Because what we find is, whether it be kids or whether it be your spouse, when we're hungry, we're a whole lot more likely to take something and we're not very hungry, and if you have your vegetable salad and pasta and chicken sitting in front of you. Well, no kid in his right mind is going to reach for the salad and the vegetable first. No, they're going to take this pasta and chicken. So just bring the healthy stuff out first while they're the hungriest.
0: Dr. Brian Wansick, the John Dyson Professor of Consumer Behavior at Cornell University, where he directs the Cornell Food and Brand Lab. He's the author of the book, Slim by Design, Mindless Eating Solutions for Everyday Life. Dr. Wansick, tell us your website address one more time
1: flimbydesign.org.
0: Thanks again for joining us on InfoTrack.
1: It's great to be with you again.
0: And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know.